There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony's stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and we've got the full fishing boat crew back again to talk about the finale of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We've got Robbie, we've got Chris, we've got Peaches. Gentlemen, what's going on? Ahoy. I want fishing boat crew to stick as our names now. So <laughs> I want us next year to call ourselves the fishing boat crew and I've forgotten why we're the fishing boat crew, but we're so, still calling ourselves that. So Soundlord, you won't and I'm I'm sure that Eduardo didn't even think about this when he said it. Um, but something you do not know that makes that statement even funnier is this weekend, uh, the three of us and a friend of the show, Crispy, uh, started playing a board game that had a lot of parts. And we went to get a storage solution for the board game that had a lot of parts. So we went to Walmart in fairly rural Florida, or at least suburban Florida, uh, to buy a tackle box, so a set of tackle boxes. And we're painstakingly assessing all of these tackle boxes, what tackle box we want in the fishing section. You know you know what the outdoors section of Walmart's like. And you can probably kind of picture how outdoorsy suburban Florida is, especially in the fishing section. And so we've got these guys walking by, looking at us, looking, and I can see them looking at us, looking at tackle boxes. I know they're all thinking about Look at those men getting ready to go on their fishing trip together. It's like, no, I need these to store my board game pieces. <laughs> nerd. Hey, did you get a load of the nerd? <laughs> well, speaking of nerds, Peaches, we're gonna take we're gonna we're gonna move on over to the, the Patreon <laughs> corner with Peaches. Peaches. Wow, we are I have a whole corner so highly of our yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Our nerd Peaches Patreon. I th- Patriarchy. I think, he, I think he was calling me the nerd and not the Patreons the nerds. Anyway, hey, we've got a Patreon. I know we've talked about this a lot, but we're going to say it uh, every episode. So, you know, just just bear with us here. Patreon.com slash assembly required. Yes, we got the name. Ladies and gentlemen, we got the name. Thank you to our patrons, our current patrons. We also want to welcome some new patrons to the show, Dexton and Adrian. Thank you so much for your support. Happy to have you. Um, I wanted to remind everybody, if you want a really quick way to get in touch with any of us or any of the other members of the Assembly Required community, um, and you're a patron, in your welcome page after you've uh, become a patron, you'll see a link to the Discord. You can link your Discord account with your Patreon account, and that will plop you right into our Assembly Required Discord, where we are a small uh, bloggy text message away at any given moment where we'll talk anything MCU with you guys or anything you want to talk about in general. So um, make sure if you would like to and you become a patron to slap that Discord on. And we also wanted to remind you all that we are doing community nights for the Avengers and Hero Level patrons. Um, our first community night we decided is going to be May 14th. Time TBD. Make sure you check the Discord and the Patreon. We'll let you know as, as time gets closer. But May 14th, it's a Friday. We're going to be doing a community watch event of Spider-Man 2. The one with Doc Ock in it. It's going to be really exciting. So thanks again for um, you know all the support. And uh, we hope to see you there. 
on community night and in the discord that's that's the peach corner well and speaking of spider-man 2 you're probably wondering why we're watching spider-man 2 to begin with part of it is just because it's a good movie but Mm -hmm. also after we are done here with falcon and the Winter soldier and before loki comes out we are going to be running through all of the sam raimi spider-man movies as well as the amazing spider-man movies with uh garfield stone i don't know what their couple name is (laughs) Uh, Andrema. Yeah, that's it. Emru. Andrema sounds like a pact of Cthulhu. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we will also be releasing uh, a never-before-heard episode, our very first recorded episode that the Sound Lord wasn't even on, uh, that uh, we recorded as a test before we uh, finally put out our first episode of the first Spider-Man movie. So uh, get ready. That's going to be coming your way. And then immediately afterwards, we're going to be redoing that first Spider-Man movie so you can see just how much better we've gotten or just how much we still suck. Up to you to decide. (laughs) We have teased that episode for so long. Who's excited? I hope someone's excited because we have someone out there has. I'm excited. I haven't listened to it yet. (laughs) Someone has a calendar. It's got like a calendar with with little tally marks in it of all the weeks we've gone without releasing our first Spider-Man cut. And they're just waiting for the day. They're like, if this gets to 50 weeks. Hashtag release the spider cut. It's on and popping. We do have one listener, uh, Kelsey, who has said that exact thing. She's just counting down to the spider cut. So there we go. Well, now they're going to be two spider cuts because we're going to we're going to put out the original spider one and then we're going to do a spider cut on top of it. Mm -hmm. And then we'll release our spider verse episode again and we'll call it hashtag restore the spider verse. Ooh, dang. But how about we restore this last episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode six, One World, One People, directed once again by Kari Skoglund and written by Malcolm Spellman and Joseph Sawyer. So picking up where the last episode ended off, the Flag Smashers attack a global repatriation council meeting in New York high-rise, interrupting a key vote. I'll tell you, right from the beginning, I didn't care so much. While Sam Wilson in a brand new costume flies above, Bucky Barnes heads into the, uh, into the building on foot. I think, look, we're going to, I want to start and preface this by saying, I think as a whole, we all enjoyed the show in a lot of its parts but there were also still a lot of things that we didn't enjoy. And so you're going to hear us talk more about the things that we didn't enjoy than the things that we did, because it just, it's easier to do that way. A lot of that stuff is just easier to come out. It's really easy to just be like, I like this. And then sometimes when you don't necessarily like something, it becomes much more difficult to explain. Squeaky wheel gets the grease, man. And also this particular show, a lot of the stuff that was good is stuff that, so the Isaiah Bradley stuff is stuff that's good. There's a lot to talk about, but a lot of the stuff that's good is, the action sequences and yeah. the, you know, the cinematography. And there's only so much you can say about, you know, wow, it was really cool when he punched the guy. It's just. <laughs> yeah, it just, it uh, even from the beginning, it just felt like this was, you know how like in like certain things, you're like leading up to a big event. This is the big event that they were leading up to. And I didn't care about it because first off, we only knew about this big event five minutes before the last episode ended. Uh, and second off, because there wasn't, it doesn't, didn't feel like anything was actually going to happen. I don't know. There just wasn't any weight to it. So it didn't feel like a big last battle to me personally. No, I will say in the beginning, I was excited about the fighting that was happening. And well, the fighting is is not what I'm talking about. No, no, no. I know what I'm saying is 
to latch onto that. The excitement of some of the fighting for a minute took me away from thinking about the plot <laughs> because I was like, Oh, that was a cool move that Sam, well, yeah. that Sam did throwing the shield right. through the window and then doing the somersault and then boom, I'm captain America. The music plays like, you know, taunting the Batroc, the leaper in French. Like <laughs> that was all fun. I agree. And then the plot happened. <laughs> Right. While Sam Wilson, in a brand new costume, flies above, Bucky Barnes heads into the building on foot. Bucky is interrupted by a civilian using the facial disguise technology from the Winter Soldier, revealing herself to be Sharon Carter. Carly Margenthau sees Wilson's arrival and signals to the Flag Smashers to begin evacuating the GRC Council. Wilson crashes through a window, showing off his brand new Wakandan-made, comics-accurate Captain America costume, complete with both wings and shield, and is immediately attacked by Batroc the Leaper. Now, can we just talk about, just for just a second, how cool this looks? Yeah, it's so cool! We've gotten some some hate from, from my wife, who says she doesn't like the costume, but I think it's awesome. It Yes, looks she's great. right. I think of any of the MCU costumes as the one that looks most like the comics version. It does. Yeah. It does, and that's cool. Like, it just, it's such a good, it just works so perfectly both in-universe and as a reference. And it's just mm-hmm. the, the stuff he does with it, the, the the bracing himself with the wings when he takes the, the Flag Smasher punch to the, the shield. The, yeah. Mm. Okay, my mm. two favorite Captain America, Captain Falcon moves were... <laughs> His him shielding himself. I, I know what you're going to say before you say it. And the shield on yeah. top, and the helicopter bouncing off mm-hmm. of him, mm-hmm. and him using his jets to do a shield like a Wario Land style yes. shield. Yes, yes. <laughs> Wait, yes. Well, I thought you were going to say the the one that I would put in there as maybe top two is when he is flying in the air and does like a flip with the shield and then tosses it in. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was cool too. Yeah. Oh man, he does a lot of cool moves. He's got, <laughs> okay. Giving someone who can fly the shield is just such a great thing. I mean, like that's gonna give give some great visual panache to to future fight scenes with him. Ooh, uh, very excited for that. Um, also, can we talk about how the U.S. government wouldn't name him Captain America, so the Wakandan government did? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean, I'll just talk about it now since we basically are. I wanted to spend time gushing about how cool Captain Falcon is in this show, uh, in this episode. You know, the show, as Eduardo kind of already touched upon, was maybe a little bit of a letdown. Uh, We'll get to that when we get to our ratings, but Sam Wilson was not the letdown in this. Mm -hmm. Sam Wilson, uh, the letdown to me is how they did such a great job with Sam Wilson and then spent a whole bunch of time on other stuff that I didn't end up caring about. Uh, and, And even this episode kind of does that. We, Peaches was talking about the, you know, the, the cool action sequence taking you away from the plot and then kind of remembering. And on rewatch, I realized it's because the cool Falcon, the, you know, cool Captain America Falcon stuff is really early in the episode and kind of then stops. And he gives his great speech. He's still Sam Wilson. He's still a great character. But that's all to say that the problem with this show is not the main characters, main characters. Um, the Captain America of the show is fantastic. And one other thing I'll say about the show is it didn't, while I'm disappointed, it didn't necessarily do anything to damage the MCU. Like it, other than one character that we'll be getting get back to, and she's mostly been forgotten before this anyway, they didn't really do anything. It's like, well, how is the MCU going to come back from this in, in any of the disappointment stuff? It was just how it was written and how it was edited. I'm real excited for Sam Wilson going forward in the MCU. I'm real excited for this Captain America. 
Um, I'm real excited for uh, Wario Charges with the Shield because mm -hmm. I love Wario Land. Um, I'm real excited for throwing shields out of windows and chasing after them and catching them midair. Um, I'm real excited for, uh, you know, you just, you just earned this ass whooping. Um, <laughs> I love that line. Not something so Steve good. Rogers would have said, but right. I love it. <laughs> um, I just, and the costume's so cool. And also, we're assuming the whole costume's vibranium, right? I assume so. Oh, it's gotta yeah. be. If the Wakandans are At the very least, yes. the wings are. I uh -huh. just, it was such a good payoff. Such a really good payoff. And it reminded me a lot of the payoff in episode 13 of Daredevil, where it's like, hey, it's the costume. Um, but yeah, same. Except it, this costume was better. Yes, except this costume is better, yes. Uh, I remember Peach a long time ago, I think it was on our Endgame episodes, he was talking about, I don't feel like people understand how cool Captain America Sam Wilson is because he's still got the wings and mm -hmm. he's got the armor and the wings and throws the shield and works everything in combo and it's just cool. And I remember thinking, will they do that? And I think at the end of last episode when he opened the box, I thought that's maybe where they were going. Uh, but I was still nervous that that was going to be something they left on the table as a waste until early in this episode when he showed up. I would have been a, I would have been probably slightly more disappointed if they didn't put those combo moves in. Like, there's no reason they wouldn't have, but probably slightly more disappointed than I am that they did the whole Zemo mask thing and no payoff. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, also, yeah. <laughs> the Zemo mask thing was for a few seconds. I didn't even think about talking about it on this episode. The Zemo mask thing was a few yeah. seconds. Okay. If if they had just okay, and this is what I said back in that episode. If they had not had the camera linger on that mask in the back seat, then him putting the mask on and showing up to that fight in the junkyard would have been fine. It would have been, oh, hey, cool, he's wearing his comics costume. But because they set it up earlier, it made it look like it was going to mean something beyond, hey, this is what he looks like in the comics. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Isn't that fun? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yes, the, Sam, the Captain Falcon costume is cool. If y'all have any more cool Captain Falcon moments we haven't already gushed about, gush about them. Basically every scene. I, I feel like, and I haven't looked at too much of the online reaction or anything yet, but I feel like people are very excited about this Captain America. And mm -hmm. the, the word has gotten out now that they are developing a Captain America 4, starring Sam Wilson, uh, from Malcolm Spellman and one of the other writers from this show whose name escapes me right now, but... I think it's the the guy who wrote the last episode, which I really enjoyed. So I'm excited for that, even though this show has its, I have my, you know, quibbles with this show. I still think that they can do a good movie, a good two and, you know, two hour movie. Uh, so I'm excited for that going forward. But people are excited about this. Do you remember what it was like when Sam became Captain America in the comics? No, actually, I don't. I remember some talk about it at a bar one night and that's it. It was controversial and not a hundred percent well received i now this is comics unfortunately there are a lot of very loud upset people in comics uh, not everybody certainly not a lot of the creators and everything but there are a lot of people who just did not like him as captain america and were very vocal about it and unfortunately the way that storyline went uh where he became captain america because steve got old because some villain sucked out the super serum from his blood it was really weird um but it worked okay and and you have sam wilson's captain america neat uh but eventually steve got young again and be also was captain america at the same time as sam so there were two captain america books happening 
Now, there are two Spider-Man, there's multiple Spider-Man books running, one with, Miles, you know, a couple with Miles Morales, a couple with Peter Parker, and they're coexisting just fine. But for whatever reason, once Steve came back, everyone was like, oh, well, Steve's the real Captain America, not Sam. And, th- and then the, uh, and the thing is, that was happening in the story, which that's a good, a good theme to explore in the story. It was happening in real life, too. <laughs> so, not as good. Um... But then Steve was evil, but then it was the Cosmic Cube's fault and all this other stuff. And then Sam decided that he wasn't going to be Captain America anymore because of all the stuff that happened. And he went back to being the Falcon. So he really wasn't, it felt like he wasn't Captain America very long. But I feel like he is going to be for a while in the movies now. I mean, going forward, I, I don't see Chris Evans coming back for five movies as Captain America. So I think we've got Sam Wilson as Captain America going forward for as long as, as long as they want. And I think the people want it too. And I'm interested to see if he goes back to being Captain America in the comics now, because the comics often will follow what's going on in the movies because they want the people who go see the movies and then go to buy comics to kind of understand what's going on. So I don't know. I didn't know he stopped being Captain America at this point in the comics. So that's interesting. That's an interesting thing to think about. I think you're probably right. I have a very strange, not Marvel related parallel because I just watched the Mortal Kombat movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the main character of the Mortal Kombat movie is not an established character from the Mortal Kombat universe. So I had that same thought like, no, it's, it's, it's a, okay. It's a new character. It's a descendant (laughs) of another character. But the point is that that was my thought, like similar thought of, Hey, they have him in this movie. This movie is not that great, but it's you know a movie that people are going to watch because they like Mortal Kombat. I bet they'll put that character as DLC in the Mortal Kombat game mm-hmm. going but, forward. But Luke Kang is already a descendant of Kung Lao. Exactly what you just you, said is already built into Mortal just, Kombat. You haven't played a Mortal Kombat game in a really long time, okay. Robbie. There's a lot of lore. Liu Kang's not really the main character. Also, always. Kung Lao is the descendant of Kung Lao in the new yeah. Mortal Kombat movies. That's yeah. also true. That's or yes, that's true. I don't. I, I don't want to harp me. on that. that I don't want to derail and harp on that Mortal Kombat movie. But I do want to say one thing: is that I'm really mad that they gave Cabal like a New York mafia accent. I have no idea. Why they would cabal? That's basically what it was. Oh, that sounds like my fake brother. Yes, (laughs) I didn't expect Cabal to be in it. Same, and he's my—he's like my character when I play Mortal Kombat. That's who I main, and he's not (laughs) fucking—he's not like New York mafia guy. I don't know why they did that. Okay, so when you say that Kung Lao is a descendant of Kung Lao, is this a Philip J. Fry situation? No, that's just his descendant's name. Oh, okay. Yeah, he didn't. And so. And then when they brought Kung Lao into Mortal Kombat 2, it's like, well, we'll just write this text so it's not the actual Kung Lao because that doesn't make sense with the timeline. So it's the same dude, but it's actually his descendant. No, I don't think you understand. The Mortal Kombat games have reset their timeline in-game multiple times. Like, they have gone and then gone, oh, actually, we're going to do a whole thing where we go back in time to the first Mortal Kombat tournament and we're going to rewrite the timeline. They've done that twice. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I've never played a Mortal Kombat game. This is they're where I confess absolutely that. bananas. They're kind of they're a lot yes. of fun. Yeah. I played Mortal Kombat two a lot when I was younger, but well, you know that how was kind I'm of how I learned. So great I didn't with like combo fight. based fighters. So. Yeah, that was kind of how I learned. <laughs> I can handle Smash Brothers, and that's about it as far as fighting. There are combos go. in Smash Brothers. They're just not well, yeah, exactly but, the same way. Yeah, I mean, like where it's like you need to remember. Uh, right, right, right. It's the uh, it's the down to right down A B. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Smash Brothers, you have two buttons and four directions, right. and 
are you in the air or are you on the ground and right. how hard are you hitting the stick? Like that's easy enough for me to handle. That so just for my amusement at some point I would like you to play Killer Instinct and I can watch you. Oh, every <laughs> combo will be broken. Killer Instinct is very the, the most recent one is very fun. Yeah. Very fun. That's a very fun game. We are crazy off topic. Back to Sam Wilson. Sorry. Um <laughs> I think what makes Sam Wilson as Captain America so cool is just how different he is from Steve Rogers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like they end up at the same goal, right? Like, they're both people who want to believe in the best of people and who want the best for their country and for the world and everything like that. But the way they arrived at these conclusions were completely different, right? Steve sees you know a lot of injustice as far as you know what was happening with world war ii and his brothers in the military and things like that and he wants the world to be as best as it can because of that whereas sam has gone through the injustices of what it's like growing up you know being a black man in the united states understanding a lot of the the things of what the world currently is understanding how the world is and how the world could be and i think that that type of perspective whereas like steve was way more like ideal like he 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 thought the world needed to be this ideal and he had this ideal sort of we need to be better than what we are whereas sam sort of understands what everyone is but still wants them to be better does that make sense yeah yeah i agree absolutely yeah sam's cool as uh captain america a random woman hands bucky a phone with morgenthau on the other end bucky tries to convince morgenthau she will never get over the bodies left in her wake but morgenthau hangs up having only been using the phone call to delay him. The GRC heads are placed in police vans in the parking garage, and a flag smasher disguised as security places uh, locking clamps on the back of the doors. As he leaves, Sharon bumps into him and tucks a device in his flak jacket. The device explodes when he enters a van and kills him, melting the skin off of his face. Carter casually tells Bucky it was mercury gas, among other things. She straight up murders this She man. does! She does! Oh my god! I can't believe you said you put clamps in the show notes. I'm sorry because now I'm thinking of Futurama again. I hate you so much. <laughs> Yo, why don't you give up the clamps? <laughs> yeah, whatever you do, just don't think about Jurassic Park. Um, Thanks. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. mercury gas, yeah, she's casual. Just straight up murders him, and I, I, you know, when I watched that moment, I was thinking about y'all, um, and the, it wasn't really an argument, but the discussion we had about. Um, the cold blood murder that you know U.S. agent that that John Walker commits in the one episode, which was brutal, and there was the blood. But we talked about not necessarily the framing of it, but like how how bad is this? How how and you know you guys correctly said he he wasn't fighting. It wasn't in self defense. He murdered him. And like if that's a bad dude act, this is a bad dude act. Like, but it no also, arguments here, bro. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I was just interested to hear, hear y'all's reaction, and I didn't think it would be an argument. But also, it made me think of something else. We're going to talk a little bit about John Walker's redemption in this. Even though he's right after murdering, right, redemption, the redemption the show wants us to mm -hmm. accept. And here we also, they are, they are framing Sharon as the bad guy, but also they don't really have, the show doesn't seem to have any issue with yeah, she killed this person, and she didn't even hide it. She just tells Bucky, yeah, yeah, mercury vapor and other stuff. He's dead now. He's a puddle on the bottom of a van. And the show just casually walks from that. And that really made me think that I think a lot of the disconnect I have with this is how casually this show seems to think we should accept murder. And maybe this is something I should have even had in the notes. But I think this show 
was written from a standpoint of, yeah, they're killing people. They're heroes. That's what heroes do. Like what, what, what do you, whereas these are all things that I think should have a little bit more of a pause given to them than they get. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I'm coming across with how I'm feeling correctly. The way that they, the way that they portray Sharon with all the things that she's done in this show is still like, you should probably like her. You remember? Like you liked her in, in, in the movie probably a little, you should keep liking her, you know? A guy's face melts, and I think they kind of think we're going to think it's funny, uh, like by her reaction. I just, it's almost like the, like Carrie Scogland and the writers have a different standpoint on what justified killing is than I do. And I, I don't, but maybe it's how it's edited or how it's framed, but it just, it's a little bit of a disconnect. It's just never really dealt with. Yes. And that is a problem with a lot of things in this show. Is that mm-hmm. stuff happens and we don't deal with it, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it it starts to muddy when when you have Sam and Bucky just kind of going along with it, even mm-hmm. though if one of them had tried to do it, they would have stopped the other. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, they don't see how bad it was, so they don't realize that when she says, "I'll use mercury vapor," that it melted the guy's face. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I mean, Bucky being a trained assassin, you think he would have an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to a lot of the John Walker stuff later, but it just, I don't know, there, there's just, again, like you said, it's a disconnect where, you know, Captain America wouldn't do that. Any any ver- good version of Captain America, Sam or right. Steve, would not. Like, we saw Steve kill some people when he was literally fighting Nazis in World War II. Uh-huh. It was literally a war. You You can debate whether that... Counts as a morally justified killing, but I think from a story standpoint, you deal with that. You're like, okay, I can accept that this soldier would kill other soldiers in a war. Well, you could also make the argument that because of all the death that happened during his time in the war, in World War II, that is why he is so adverse to killing or doing any of those things, because of how much death he has already seen. Yeah, because even before he becomes Captain America, he says to Erskine, he goes... I don't want to kill anybody. I just don't like bullies. And yeah, and he, you know, like I'm thinking of the guy that he knocks out of the plane and who falls through the propeller when he's literally stopping him from nuking London or whatever it is that he's about to do. Okay, I can I can, I can, get on board with that killing, but he wouldn't kill a defenseless man in a van like that. I think... He would, he would disable him, disarm him. I think the jarring part is that when we talked about this before is we've kind of moved away from the typical action movie killing bad guys in the MCU. Like it started off that way and then it got more like, we'll show you that this person was delivered a fatal blow, but we're not going to show his skin melting off like that sort of thing. And the first thing I think of for whatever reason to compare this to is when, um, when Killmonger dies at the end of black Panther Killmonger's death is really important and the dialogue that follows is really important and it's very tragic and it's treated as such and then i think about this and people are just dying to things left and right in like graphic visceral ways and it just doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like the mcu anymore compared to what we've moved to and it doesn't jibe with the speech that sam gives later where he's like you're still calling them terrorists where he completely eviscerates that argument that they're terrorists and says you know they were you know, the way you've treated them, they were justified to act out, he, he basically says. But, you know, but we have to murder the driver? And we talked about this on the Madripoor episode with how 
not MCU it felt. I think that's exactly what we said. It did not feel like the MCU when she was rolling around like super murdering guys in self-defense, but still not the way the MCU usually handles things in the, the Madripoor cargo depot scene. It just... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't anyone get confused either. We're not over here saying the MCU doesn't kill anybody. Like, we very well know <laughs> that right. in these comic-based stories that there are fatalities on the enemy side, like on the Kombat. hero side. Yeah, just like Mortal Kombat. This is now a Mortal Fatality. Kombat podcast. We're not yeah. saying that they don't exist. We're just saying that the the visual that it is that it, that are communicating these deaths feels so different. Right. And it's because the MCU at least takes pains to like you said, either hide it or go out of its way to avoid that death. Like at the end of this episode they had Captain America go back and save that guy in the river, but I feel like most MCU I've, MCU things I've seen would have taken a moment of having him not following the tracking shot of going down to the river, but would have had something of Captain America also then saves but subdues the bad guy, that sort of thing. And definitely wouldn't be, or, or, or would have had, and then the van scene would have had some knockout gas or that sort of thing. It would not have been, he's not only going to get, you know, killed, he's going to get jokered and the camera's going to dwell on it so you can really see, wow, he's melting. Um, but uh-huh. also, you still are supposed to kind of like Sharon. Also, also I, I, do, I do think that she's coded as a bad guy by the end of the episode, <laughs> but that's a whole other issue yes. that we will talk about soon. I, I, we... I, yeah, maybe I should shut up because we're going to get into yeah. the Sharon stuff. I, yeah, I, just... I think what just makes it so jarring, and I think you guys have touched on this a little bit, but is that specifically, it's not that there's a problem with killing in the MCU because lots of ones will do it. I think Black Widow, there will be lots of killing, but that yeah, is yeah, more yeah. true to what Black Widow is as an assassin, right, as someone right. who does covert ops, as being part of whatever the Black Widow program thing that she was part of. Like, I think it makes sense in her story. In this story, we talk about murder and things like that in a very important way that defines it, like distincts what a good person, a bad person is. We literally take a shield away from John Walker because he murders someone. And then we're just cool with Sharon Carter murdering someone a couple episodes after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's inconsistent. It's uneven. Yeah. Yeah. Especially given her terrible plot. Okay, okay, okay. That's a hang on, Peaches. We're get we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> Barnes hijacks a motorcycle to pursue the police vans while a helicopter with other GRC heads takes off, piloted by another flag smasher. I think that's <laughs> here's the I again had vibes of Tony Stark after Mantis and Drax make that dumb comment on Titan. That sigh you just made. That's the second <laughs> time during this, se- this series. I, I have a really big problem. I don't think anybody talk, touched it, so I'm going to take it right now. I have a really big problem with the Flag Smashers in this entire series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what I just read is a big part of the problem. One... Carly Morgenthau is the Flag Smasher that we're supposed to have some kind of relationship with, right? We know who she is. We're supposed to kind of care about her and her story. And we're supposed to, I think their intention is to be on the fence of whether or not we agree with her. Kind of like Sam does, right? He doesn't agree with her actions, but he understands where she's coming from and things like that. Here's the problem, Sam. I don't actually care about Carly because she hasn't been developed enough for me to actually care about her. Oh no, Carly's old friend that we've never met before died. Suddenly I'm supposed Wait, to care about all of her interactions. Yeah, we, and she never. keeps 
got Mama Donya explained. And she keeps <laughs> dropping Mama Donya. Every time they write something about Mama Donya in the script, they write it as though they think that I, the viewer, am going to care and know who she is. And they oh. never give that to me. She yep. called her Mama. She must be important. Oh, she must God. be better than a bad Mama. <laughs> mama Donya. Yeah. West of, Virginia. All I... of Car- Carly Morgenthau's character development is while she's on the floor dead, delivered by another character. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. And the flag smashers are another big part of that. I think it's a problem that I can't tell who's a flag smasher and who's not a flag smasher. And I just literally like confuse people all the time because anyone can be a flag smasher at this point. So like, <laughs> I don't actually know who's, and maybe that's like, maybe by even design. like Carly at this point. That's another thing. I wrote this down that they never really got into the fact that the rest of the flag smashers are like, what the hell is she doing? Yeah. Like, they do not like what she has become. Right. That would have been a real interesting story yes, avenue to go down. I agree. And we never did. So, Eduardo, I'm so happy you said that because on rewatch and while composing the notes, I was staring at both my notes and the show just trying to figure out, okay, wait. Emma, is it me? Am I the problem that I can't tell who's in this helicopter and why and which ones are bad and which ones are good? And like, okay, that makes me feel so much better. It's like, because I know, basically the only reason I knew what was going on in that helicopter is because I know how television works. Like I had to glean what must be happening based on common tropes instead of the show showing me, this is the bad guy. These three are hostages. Um, they're in the helicopter. We're like, why are they in the helicopter and the rest are in the van? What is going on? Yeah, what, and then, are they the more important of this council? Is that what that right. is? Like, what does it mean? Right. They strategically put a former helicopter pl- pilot in the helicopter. Right. They thought <laughs> we need a cool helicopter fight sequence with Captain Falcon. Great. Good job. They did a good job on it. But they never even took two seconds, even though this show has tons of time to spare with how much stuff could have been edited out. They never took two seconds to say, this is what's happening in the helicopter and why. It, it, ah. it <laughs> Thank just, you. And it, it makes me angry because there are a lot of really cool things that happen during this helicopter scene. But instead, the entire time I have to be like, who are, like, why are they there? Who is this oh guy? God. I thought the guy that was piloting the plane was one of the other Flag Smashers, but it they just kind of look similar, and now the other Flag Smashers actually on the ground doing something else. So like, what do you... Then who is this person? I don't know who this is. Oh, it's just literally some random guy who picked up a cell phone app and was like, here I am, the helicopter pilot you've been looking for. Like, I just, yeah, and you think of the, let's use their app plan earlier. Okay. 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 Do you think they have a job section on their app where they're like, "Are you a helicopter pilot? Apply here. We need you." I don't. It just I is really disappointing. Tell you like, how much you just made me feel better. There are a lot of things in this helicopter scene that I wonder are, if they have to have location services turned on that are really cool. Like everything that happens with Red Wing is really cool. I think the whole interaction with him and the the helic the person the woman who can fly the helicopter i think that's really cool like i think the way they do a lot of that stuff is really cool but then again the entire time i'm thinking why why is this happening you know i agree sam abandons his fight with batrock throwing his shield out of the window and flying to catch it midair to pursue the helicopter an intense aerial fight of sam v helicopter takes place across new york 
including a pause as he has to save an NYPD chopper caught in the crossfire to cheers from the public. Which, Chris, you are right. The him, like, using the shield and, like, almost like doing a one-man phalanx on himself mm-hmm. and, like, using the, 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 the wings as well as the shield on top of himself, very cool. Using a restored Red Wing, Wilson is able to determine one of the GRC captives is the helicopter. In the helicopter, is able to fly the helicopter. Sam calls, yeah, it's not that she's able to fly. She's able to fly the helicopter. <laughs> Sam calls the captive and tells her to count down for five and then take the controls. As she finishes her countdown, he flies shield first through the cockpit, knocking the flag smasher into the river and allowing the GRC members to fly to safety. I like that of the two of them, the one that is in the helicopter next to the bad guy is the one counting out loud down from five. Yeah, I didn't get that. He might not hear that and expect something might happen on one. Like, like, why couldn't Sam be the one to count? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm being pursued by a superhero and a person in my helicopter is counting down. I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> On the streets, Morgenthau convinces her followers to kill the hostages if things go south. While they are not happy about the plan, they reluctantly agree to follow her lead. What was the plan with the captives in the first place? The Flag Smashers stop and barricade the police vans, and Bucky arrives to try and stop them. As he fights outnumbered, the Flag Smashers are interrupted by John Walker shouting for Morgenthau. I thought this was going to be... Oh, God. Carly tries to calm Walker down by saying (laughs) she didn't mean to kill Lamar Hoskins, saying she doesn't kill people who don't matter. This has the opposite effect of calming Walker down. Um, okay. I need to take a time out here so we can unpack John Walker saying, you think Lamar's life didn't matter. There is a lot to unpack with that line, man. The fact that they put that line, which I, it, it, oh. it cannot be unintentional. It evokes Black Lives Matter. And they put that line in the mouth of the state-sponsored enforcement agent who used unnecessary force to kill someone on camera. What am I supposed to make of that? Tell me that, friends. I don't know. It made me uncomfortable. I don't know either. Uh, that's why I put that, John just... Walker in the notes. While you say that, I'm just going to scroll down in my rating and consider it some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think of that specific implication either because you you don't you say that about okay you say it about a black man but even just using the words life and matter in that close proximity is going to make you think of black lives matter and we have already made the comparisons to you know police killings caught on tape with with john walker killing the guy and the uh, uh with the shield can and I just jump in? I don't know where my jump. point is then, because because this this is a good lead in for me. I felt overall in this episode that I should be praising John Walker because he shows up and he helps Bucky fight. He even has he tries to do one of those funny superhero quips at one point, like Lincoln, you quoted Lincoln, like that sort of thing. But I feel icky being like praising him because it's it doesn't make sense to me. For five episodes, they set him up to be completely the opposite of this ending, and 
it just doesn't feel like his story in this episode lines up with what they were trying to do. And I am like, people can change. I'm not saying people can't change, but his arc had what felt like a pretty clear trajectory. And then suddenly his arcs on a completely different graph. Like it's, they're not, it's not even the same visualization and it doesn't make sense. I I'm right there with you. That's yeah. part of this. Like that doesn't make sense for what he was doing. There's been a, a criticism of the MCU for a while. And you heard a lot of people talking about with the end of WandaVision that characters that are supposed to be good guys don't face consequences for their actions. There are a lot of people who are like, oh, Wanda deserved to be punished for everything she did. I think we talked about that during the WandaVision episode. It wasn't necessarily a criticism I agreed with. I feel like that she went through enough emotional torture and all that. Mm-hmm. But 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 there's an argument to be made there. Well, let's apply that to John Walker. I do not think that John Walker is an irredeemable character just yet. Mm-mm. That being said, he is not also he's also not a character that can be redeemed in one episode by one or two good deeds. And right. that's what, what they, I think, I feel like they think that the culmination of his arc is when he decides, I'm not going to chase after Carly for revenge. I'm going to save these people because that's what heroes do. But that's... Because, because we got that earlier with Bucky where we got the classic supervillain trope of, we need to distract the hero. Let's put some bystanders in danger because they'll drop everything to save them. And it works because Bucky stops everything to save those people. But if and Bucky the, wouldn't have been there, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> No, 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 I'm serious, because okay. this is this is one thing that I will say does ring true to John Walker, Walker's character that I didn't put in the notes, I just planned on saying it, is that he's around when one of those is on fire. Like, he's fighting. Yeah. He's fighting the guys. When, Bucky stops fighting immediately to yeah. go and punch the shit out of the clamp to get uh-huh. everybody out. John Walker keeps fighting because he is still bent on revenge. So uh-huh. that is, like, one part of his story that still makes sense. But everything else doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and right, then it's, later it's he right up until doesn't do that, and he saves the people. And yes. I think we're supposed to think, oh, he's good now because then he gets the quippy line about Lincoln and a little bit of banter with Bucky, and it just feels like too much too soon. Like I can see this as the start of his road to redemption, but he is not at the end of that road yet. So, yeah, let's just go ahead and dive into one of our two mega points now. Let's do we, it. Yeah, since we open that floodgate. Uh, I actually told Eduardo this in person the other day, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and gloat now about the fact that I was right about what the show wanted to do with John Walker. He is not the villain. He is there. He's in the way and he's obnoxious and he's stupid, but he's not the villain. Uh, All of that said, while I'm gloating and I will go ahead and take my, my props for being right after y'all yelled at me for five episodes. That doesn't mean it was earned. (laughs) That doesn't mean it was earned and peaches is still right. Because the reason, most of the reason I thought that, some of it was in how they were writing certain things, but 90% of why I thought that's what, and I believe Sound Lord said the same thing, 90% of why I thought that's what they were going to do with John Walker is because I thought they were going to basically, kind of like they did with Agatha, but not perfectly, kind of take the core of the character's concept from the comics and apply it in the shows. You know, start as villain, um, become annoying version of Captain America, then become, and, you know, become annoying version of Captain America with a different name of being U.S. agent. And so I didn't think they were going to take someone who is a eh, hero, kind of, in the comics. Um, he's a hero in the comics. He's just not yeah. Captain America. 
But he also got like controversially killed some people in the comics as well. Yes. I think right, right, right. Yeah. yes, yes. He's he's so that's even a parallel. He's not the Punisher, but he's more Punisher than Captain America. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I thought that they were going to do that in the show. I did not think they were going to make him a villain. I didn't think they were going to take go with that level of Mandarin twist. So if that's the only reason I was right, then that's a problem with the show. If the only reason I'm right is knowing, well, they've got to make it line up with the source material some, then that's a problem with how he was written. Because Peaches is completely right. He never earned this redemption. And so what it feels like is they thought, this is the arc this character needs to go on, but then just completely fumbled around with how do you actually write a struggling hero redemption arc. They never made him likable. They never made, they had him do something fairly egregious. And then his, just write it as though, yeah, now accept that he's the good guy. Because yes, he did say some lies. I'm not saying that that's meaningless. But it didn't have the weight for the reasons Peaches just said to earn what he had fallen from. And it also just felt kind of out of left field. It just felt like, what, it, what, what, what is it? Is he's now knocked off the effects of the serum? Is it, what is it that caused him to go from walking in screaming Morgenthau and, and fighting like an insane person to, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to save the van. I'm going to quote Abraham Lincoln and then walk away having a, a buddy argument with Bucky Barnes. Like, where did we get to that point? You can do that, but this show didn't accomplish that. They just, it's like they were checking off boxes of what John Walker was supposed to be without yeah. fleshing out the, you know, the details between the boxes to make it make sense. Is that, is that, am, am I right here? Yeah, and I think it also speaks to a larger problem in media in general, which is the one good deed redeems someone who's done a bad Correct. thing. Correct, right. And, I mean, you see it in movies all the time. Star Darth Wars Vader. does it. Yeah, I was going to say Darth Vader <laughs> and Kylo Ren both. And I, I know you love Return of the Jedi. I do as well. But even at least Darth Vader, over the course of that movie, you start to see him, like, questioning right. But I still, do, and I think it it's important that Darth Vader dies, so you never have to grapple with, is he redeemed, or did he just uh -huh. save his son's life? Yeah, exactly. And the same thing, Kylo Ren, I guess I'm good now, and now I'm going to go die. And... and Star Wars, of course, has a different <laughs> take on it, because in Star Wars, it is more there is a supernatural force making yeah. you evil. It's, yeah, it's... There's, there's, Star Wars is a morality play in a lot of right. ways, which the MCU in a lot of ways has tried to be more complex and that's not the Star Wars doesn't have complexity, but morally and, there is complexity. To and it while you're on that point, have. they could have done that. There's no reason it couldn't have been, Oh man, the serum makes people crazy. Like mm -hmm. there's no, that would have been great for Morgenthau. It would have been great for her, for yeah. the flag smashers to be, Oh man, guys, the serum's taken her out of control. And, and same I thing with John Walker. They were kind of mm -hmm. trying to do that. And right. they, didn't right and same because thing you Walker. see the other flag smashers who also took the serum mind you being like oh she's she's become extreme just as john walker had become extreme right there it's one of those you're not so different you and i things that they didn't get into right what almost if, like this should have just been a john walker versus carly morgenthau story and sam and bucky should have been in a different movie right right it's like you could have had this tragedy play of these people took the serum and one of them never recovered to her death after causing chaos. One of them did recover, but is still also a tragedy story. Cost him his best friend, cost him his, his job, yeah. cost him... And Yeah, and I would love to watch the journey of John Walker going towards some kind of redemption, if that is a story that they want to tell. Mm -hmm. But we can't fast forward to, he's, he's a quippy good guy now. Why? They fast forward to someone becoming a bad guy without telling us anything about it? 
Well, we'll I've got <laughs> things to say about that later. Eduardo, you had thoughts on this too. What's your John Walker beef? Uh, well, first, let me just start by saying it absolutely, 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 unequivocally pains me to say the words Robbie was right, but it's something. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's something I gotta say. So, Robbie, y- you were right. John Walker does cheated. get a redemption story, but Peaches is also right. It's not earned. The character arc doesn't make any sense. And I think here's a little secret about characters that should be redeemed in the first place. Characters that typically are redeemed in stories like this, you gotta like the character. It's got to be a character that you like, that you want to see redeemed, or else you're not going to care when they get redeemed, or you're not going to be able to accept that they're redeemed in the first place because you think they're such an asshole. And John Walker, for the first (laughs) five episodes, is just a huge asshole, and he's super rude and condescending, and he's really mean, and nobody likes him. He looks like Cap, but kind of weird, like Bizarro Cap. Like, it's all these different things, and they're... And then they're expecting you to be like, oh, but he's good now. We're okay with that. And it just doesn't work. And it's incredibly upsetting. Right. My only rooting interest, this this is a problem. The only rooting interest I had in this show about John Walker actually being redeemed to being a good, good guy Nothing about liking him, entirely about being right on a podcast. Like, that's it. Like, you know, like, that's a <laughs> one, one small change that they could have made, and I think we actually might have come around on this guy, is when he lies to Lamar's family about who killed Lamar. Because at yeah. that point in the story, he has this, they had this option to say, You killed my friend. Maybe I should rethink how I'm going about this. Maybe I should change a little bit. Instead, he goes to Lamar's family, lies about the way that he died, and sets himself up to be a villain. In that moment, that could have been the shift. We could have sympathized with him a little bit and said, wow, that really sucks. Like I have empathy for you. Your friend died, and now you're going to start doing what's right. But he didn't. He immediately went about it a shady way Mm -hmm. and then jumped into this fight like he should have been redeemable. But we don't care because he's still a scumbag. The cover-up is worse than the crime. Yes. (laughs) Like, I I think they could have made that one small change and we might have not been so critical of this moment. We might have been like, wow, they fridged Lamar, but it did something for John Walker's character. Instead, it's just a dud. Yeah. Here's another problem. The shield. We get this whole extra <laughs> ep- extra sh- thing about this damn shield where he's putting it together and it's so cool. One, it looks just like the same shield except it's got a metal on the inside for him to look at. And then it gets <laughs> thrown away in five seconds. Well, I, we, I expect that because he doesn't have vibranium. Yeah, you know? that I felt was intentional. That was, I felt like, yeah, you tried. Good. That good was, try, you right. are not Captain America. Stop trying. So then if all that's true, to Eduardo's point, what a boring post-credit sequence that didn't need yeah. to exist like that, hey you want to talk about boring post-credit sequences two. I, i've got i've got a whole point about post-credit sequences later so we'll, the uh, show is over we'll two with them <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just 
John Walker is one of the failings of the show. You know what? To be 100% honest with you guys, I think this show needed to decide John Walker versus Flag Smasher as who is going to be the real villain of this show. And I think they chose wrong. I think they could have keep it because John Walker has been more fleshed out, I would say, than the Flag Smashers. And if you would have just kept John Walker as the villain, it's okay that the Flag Smashers don't end up becoming the villain and end up just being this like side character. We don't actually know that much about them because John Walker is who we're focusing on. But because we're focusing on an underdeveloped villain and then changing another character's entire you know, character arc on the last episode, it's incredibly jarring. It's like the last episode of How I Met Your Mother when Ted is all like, sorry, spoilers for a however-year-old show, when Ted's all like, oh, this entire plot about Barney and Robin getting married, oh, they get divorced in the last episode, and I'm going to go after Robin, even though I've said I'm not going to for 600 episodes. Nine what? seasons. Nine is seasons. how it ends? Yep. Yes, it's awful. The, yeah, it's it's. I finally Robbie, met your mother. Serious? Your mother died. I'm gonna go marry your aunt now. What? Because she she divorced yes. my best friend. Also, she was my first what? girlfriend. You didn't know that? Oh my god! No, yeah. it's real bad. No, it's real bad. Hey, we're getting How I Met Your Father now. Ooh, with, with Hillary, with Hillary Duff. Duff. Yeah. Which did you know there was a pilot for How I Met Your Father many years ago that did not get picked up, starring Greta Gerwig. Yep, and if that had gotten picked up, we would have been we would not have gotten like all of her movies. Should we just assume that Hillary Duff is going to spend nine seasons telling all these stories and then be like, anyway, your dad died. I'm going to bone your uncle. Like, <laughs> damn. Yeah, John Walker is one of the one of the more disappointing points of this show. Yes. Walker helps Barnes fight the Flag Smashers. I don't even I don't even agree with that. He's not necessarily helping Barnes. He's trying to kill Carly and taking out people in his way. Walker simultaneously fights the Flag Smashers with Barnes. Yes, he fights them, but for he's not like helping Barnes. He doesn't care about Barnes. He's just trying to get to Carly. He's fighting alongside Bucky, but only geographically. <laughs> his, his quarters are similar. <laughs> Bucky breaks off from the fight to save the captives and with tremendous effort is able to break the doors open of one of the uh, one of the uh, police fans that was set on fire and he's able to save them. Walker engages Morgenthau one-on-one. No more adjacency bonuses. Damn. Bucky is knocked into an open construction pit where he fights one of the remaining Flag Smashers. Bucky's superhero landing here is really cool. Yep. And he's able to get the upper hand, but Morgenthau is able to knock down Walker and shove the still-loaded second police fan over the side of the several stories deep construction. Are you sure that John Walker didn't um, pull Carly to the side to fight her one-on-one and then go invisible so that Carly pursued her teammates that had less armor and health instead? What he was supposed to do. <laughs> Sad. Anyway, that's our in-joke. I used it again. It's always me. Before the GRC members in the van can plummet to their deaths, however, Walker discards his homemade shield that no one cared about and is able to control his anger. <laughs> and is able to control his anger towards Morgenthau long enough to grab the back of the van and save their lives. He's good now. Wow. Yippee. Yay. Yeah. Morgenthau wa- knocks Walker away, but Sam arrives in time to help finish pushing the van back to safety to the top level. Not only does he stop what he's doing to save to take this van to save these people's lives, he doesn't even get to do it right. right he like right. fails at it, and Sam has to come and Correct. save the day anyway. It's the mm-hmm. thought that counts. Yeah, he tried. There. That's 
Again, I don't agree with the way I'm they did it. I'm going to give him that at least. That's he the tried. That's the praise. Yeah, that's the praise I wanted to give him. Because yeah. when that actually happened, I out loud, like, without thinking about it, just said, oh, that was nice of him. <laughs> yeah, but John Walker isn't a real person, so I don't care about the nice things he pretends to do to these fake exactly. people. I care about a well-written story arc. Exactly. Yes. That's what I was No, I know. Say. I'm I not, again, I... Everything I had previously said, I still agree with. But that is the point where I said, I think I'm going to talk about John Walker on this show. It's like in the video game when you don't actually get to beat the final boss and you're supposed to accept that you beat the game. And it's like, I don't know, the Jinjo did it. (laughs) (laughs) Morgenthau knocks Walker away, but Sam arrives in time to help finish pushing the van back to safety to the top level. One black onlooker calls him Black Falcon, while another corrects him saying, no, that's Captain America. Like Sam, Bucky, Sharon, and Walker regroup because they're a team now, I guess. Right? <laughs> but are attacked by gas grenades launched by Batrock and head into the desk. grenades. Those are bad. Unless they're good. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, those weren't the mercury kind, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You know, the bad guys were using non-lethal gas grenades. <laughs> Sharon Carter's like, you're a skeleton car driver now. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like having skin? You're done. They head into the depths of the under construction building. The group pursues, pursues, excuse me, Morgenthau, but are split up. Sharon is able to lure Carly out of hiding, and Morgenthau reveals to the absolutely stunned audience that Sharon (laughs) is the power broker. Yo, we've got a successful surveillance stork. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. (laughs) Carter tries to convince Morgenthau to come back to work for her and Madripoor. Chris, this is one of the most mind-bending, brain-altering, life-changing twists that have ever been in in any sort of property, isn't it? I I can't believe that the character introduced in the episode called Power Broker ended up being the Power Broker. (laughs) There's so much I can't believe. Please talk before I start. All right. So a couple things, and I'm going to go, I'm going to start broadly, actually, here. I'm going to be that guy and say the female characters in this show just were not very well served at all. Uh, So this is, here's, we're going to, we thought this was going to be a pile on Sharon, but we're going to get our Carly stuff in here, too. Uh, We have talked at length about how confusing Carly's story is, how we don't know her motivation Mama Donya, uh, all of this stuff. Uh, and the same, unfortunately, goes for Sharon. If you are going to have Agent Peggy Carter's niece, ally and one-time kisser of Steve Rogers, <laughs> ally of Nick Fury, <laughs> the character who got to give the iconic no-you-move speech in Civil War, granted she was quoting Peggy, but she still got to give that speech, which is probably the most iconic bit of the Civil War comic, uh, at least as far as dialogue goes. Uh, if you're going to have that character break bad, you damn well better earn that heel turn, all right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it was production issues, because there's been a lot of theories out there that, I mean, the show did get shut down because of COVID, and they had to come back under COVID protocols. We don't know what had to be sacrificed in telling that story. Not saying that is an excuse, there, there should have been a little bit more thought put into that. And Peaches, I know you're going to get into that later. But I'm putting that out there as a, the pop, whole internet. 
as a possibility. Don't see how COVID makes the writing bad. Keep going. <laughs> COVID can cut your episode order if you uh, if it if it eats okay. into your budget and your time. So okay. let's say that this is supposed to be seven or eight episodes instead of six, possibly. I don't know. Uh, we missed the Momadanya episode. I'll be getting to that in a minute. But I don't know if it was that, if it was clumsy writing, or if it was just that the writers had different priorities in the story that they were telling. Uh, but the Power Broker story, in my mind, just completely mishandled. I, I, and I think what it is is they wanted to have a twist reveal in the final episode. Oh my god, Sharon's the Power Broker. I can't believe it. And it didn't work. My stars. Partially it's because we all figured it out as soon as she showed up and, and was acting kind of shady. But that's not it, because we all knew, even before WandaVision started, we're all like, I bet that Agnes character is Agatha Harkness. And we were right. But that reveal still landed, right? Uh-huh. It, it landed very well because the show knew what it was doing. Even people who knew or suspected that there was more to Agnes, even if they didn't know who Agatha Harkness was, but if they were like, hey, there's something up with Catherine Hahn's character, uh, they, we weren't sure what her deal was. So it was still kind of a great reveal of like, oh, this is what's happening. And the song didn't hurt, obviously. It was what, you know, if we'd had a Power Burger song, maybe maybe this would have been better. <laughs> It was Wait. Sharon Carter all along. Soundlord, you're not allowed yeah. to compare this show to WandaVision. I know it's illegal, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. There wasn't much more to Sharon Carter as the power broker than, I bet she's the power broker. Oh, look, I was right. She's the power broker. <laughs> That's what that was. What we needed, I think, which would have helped both Sharon's story and Carly's story, is we needed one more episode. And I am not necessarily always a proponent of adding stuff to a story helps. People have told me that about Justice League, and I still haven't watched it yet, but I'm, I've got my doubts. <laughs> but we need a one more episode, call it something like The Last Five Years, and have it be a flashback episode. What was actually happening during the blip? Show us this. That, re- that helps us understand why Sharon became the kind of person that she is. Helps us understand why Carly became the person that she is. Helps us to understand the GRC, too, because that's kind of a confusing element of the story. Pause. Show us this. Don't just kind of tell us every once in a while, hey, things were like this, and that's why I'm doing this. Because it just didn't work. Not everything needs to be a surprise reveal. Dramatic irony is a great thing in stories. If you tell us right away that Sharon's the power broker, we know this. Our heroes don't. That adds a different kind of tension. Uh A much more... Some things are great when it's like, it's a mystery, it's a mystery. Oh my gosh, the reveal. Some things work best when we know something is going to happen and the characters don't. We didn't need to be surprised by the Power Broker because the Power Broker was like a third-level plot of this story. Uh It didn't even feel, though, like they cared to make it a big reveal. Exactly. The damn damn fishing boat being fixed was a more important and fleshed-out plot than the Power Broker. Uh And I liked it better, too. (laughs) Yes! To, on to top go- of all of on top of all of that, and I'm sorry to have interrupted you, but on top of all of that, her her story didn't even make sense because <laughs> because she led them. She okay at the very end, she asks Carly to rejoin because she needs somebody that can help her keep changing the world. And Carly says, "You just want your muscle back." Yeah, that's probably true. She wants her muscle muscle back. If that is true, why? And we're gonna reverse time in reverse chronological order why did she mercury gas one of the super soldiers slash supporters and then why in episode three did she lead sam 
Bucky and a fucking villain, Baron Zemo, to the guy making super soldiers for her. Right! Right! <laughs> Why right. did she do that? And like of all the of all the muscle she could get back, she's gonna go for the one that's the most unstable, the leader of the group. No, that's the one you need to you need to mercury gas Carly. Not that I'm advocating mercury gassing anyone, but you need to mercury gas Carly, then take the other flag smashers back. Yeah. She's doing it wrong. What would have stopped her if she is a villain and and she's going to help Sam and Bucky find the scientists that they're looking for in Madripoor from just picking a random person and saying, that guy's, that guy's him. Kill him. Kill that right, guy. Or, right. or what if, hear me out, she didn't need to flex on them and be like, hey, sorry, couldn't yeah. find him. That's yeah, it. Right. That's all you had to do. <laughs> and, um, she also, a major part of her Madripoor plot is, I can't go back to the U.S. And then... She just goes She's back to the U.S. She's and, just okay, there. The, face, the facial technology. Also, how'd she get there so fast? How's she? Why is she there? Why is she there? What is she doing in this episode that she could not have done from Madripoor? By uh, she wanted to re-recruit Carly, I guess. I don't know. In uh, person, yeah. And then sure. so but she shoots her. It, again, just, show us. Show, again, if you give us, show us what happened during the damn blip instead right. of being like, "Oh, it was bad." Right. That's show the thing. us this. Show this is, us this, and we will understand it. This is the most extreme version of telling instead of showing I think I could ever think of. They took a popular hero. She was only in a couple movies, but they took a popular hero from two of the most popular uh, superhero movies and then just made her a bad guy with a hand wave of text. Uh-huh. It didn't need to be Sharon Carter. It could have been anyone. First off, I don't think Sharon Carter was an important enough character for it to be that cool for her to be twisted into a bad guy it's just it's like they needed same thing with batrock what did batrock do in this episode eduardo talked about last episode i just don't care about batrock he revealed the twist and then he doesn't belong in this episode because he doesn't do anything it's like they just said let's get as many captain america movie cameos as we can into this episode and as long as we got sharon carter yeah whatever make her the bad guy no one cares and it's just oh my god and but you know the theory it. out there now is that she's a Skrull, which... Ugh. Stop. God, your I'll favorite be... theory. You know oh, how God. I feel about no. that. I... So what do you think that she's <sighs> going to... So they've set her up, Chris. I'm jumping ahead, but because we're talking about her, they've set her up as possibly this now recurring, infiltrated the U.S. government agent that is also a villain now. So, like, what are they going to do with her going forward? Like, why do we care? <laughs> Why do I care that Sharon Carter might be doing evil things? Mm-hmm. Also, I got a couple other thoughts on this. Another is, I said that this show didn't do too much damage to the MCU, um, even with as disappointing as it is, and it absolutely set up a really cool Captain America. But the next time I go back and watch Winter Soldier, it is going to be tainted by this Sharon Carter story. Like mm-hmm. it is no longer <laughs> partly because they never showed me a justifiable reason. I am going to see, well, she's not actually a good guy who's choosing to fight against Hydra in, you know, this moment, uh, in the launch the ships moment. No, she's actually just a villain waiting for her moment. And or it, she had a hard-on for Steve. Yeah, and she just yeah, helped yeah, she, yeah. Had, she had it well, out for him. The yeah. weird part would be was that he makes out with her and then ends up still getting with her aunt. <sighs> That's what Twister. Well, and that I'm already fine. is weird, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, and then Soundlord, you talked about being cautious about saying add more to the show, but I don't even think they necessarily needed to add more. 
I feel like almost every episode of the show was so bloated in a way that it didn't need to be, almost every episode, that you could have re-trimmed down this show in so many ways and fit this more important story, you're talking mm-hmm. about the, the, the last five years, yeah. in a way that did not actually necessarily add. The Madripoor episode? The Madripoor episode could have been more flashback and less, you know, hey, Madripoor is the most dangerous place in the world. Don't you want to live here? Come to Madripoor. Madripoor is the best. And it's awful. And I just, and then just getting back to the women being underdeveloped in this. What is Morgenthau apologizing for? Like what, she's proud of everything she's done. And then she goes, I'm sorry when she dies. Which just felt to me like, kind of like we've been getting back to, the writers saying, we need her to have her moment of realizing everything she's done. But she never- That I didn't kill more people. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I would have smashed every flag if I could have. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, call a redemption arc. Call a redemption arc. But not for me. (laughs) And John Walker shows up. For me, for me. (laughs) I just... I don't... I don't know. Like, I know... I know what they thought they were doing with her apologizing, but they never at any point showed us on camera Anything about Carly Morgenthau being someone that was going to realize in her dying moments, oh, I screwed up. I'm going to apologize to this guy I wanted dead. I just, yeah. it's lazy. It's its like they had the ends they wanted on the show and never thought that the means matter. We'll just, at the end, we'll have, have U.S. agent get redeemed and, and we'll have Carly, we'll have Sharon be a bad guy and we'll have Carly apologize and now Sam Wilson's Captain America and, and it's just, but they never stop to to like make it make sense to get the characters to their end point we're gonna reflect on this later but remember like for basically the first two-thirds of these podcast episodes where we were like i know this shows off to a rocky start but i'm sure it'll all be in the end Uh, not on the level of attack of the clones for me but what i will say is that it reminds me of attack of the clones where that movie which is probably my least favorite of the nine movies of mm-hmm. the Star Wars saga. Mm-hmm. No pod racing in that movie. I oh, actually, Attack of the Clones is your least favorite. Okay. Attack of the, yeah, I actually oh. really like half of Attack of the Clones. Every part that doesn't have Anakin or Padme in it. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the end. <laughs> yeah, like, Detective Obi-Wan is great. Detective Obi-Wan is fantastic. If that were the only thing that happened in that movie, it would be the best Star Wars. Not quite, but it would be very good. Um, but the romance stuff is so poorly written that it drags the rest of that movie down for me. Mm-hmm. This show is not quite on that level, but I love the Sam and Bucky and Isaiah Bradley stuff. I And, and you know, Zemo and Lodore Milaje and all that. I love that stuff. I thought a lot of it was really, really well done. Um, but the Flag Smasher stuff, really, and the Sharon Carter stuff, and then you got John Walker kind of straddling both sides of this for me. Uh, that half brings it down for me, like in my total estimation of the mm-hmm. show. It's so funny. it's like, oh, half of the stuff is good, and the half of the stuff leaves me wanting in, in a bad way. It's really funny you say that because multiple times today, as we've been talking, I've been sitting here thinking this show kind of reminds me of the prequels in the way of there's a bunch of really great stuff. And uh-huh. also this storyline that's like, almost deep and fantastic, but just kind of handled in such a clumsy way that doesn't work. And that's what this is. This show is a lot like how I feel about the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. 
But it ends with a character putting on a suit that you want to see them in, so it, it kind of works in the end. Nah. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. I think it's tough. I think uh, they definitely didn't land some of these things for me, mm-hmm. and it really brings down. Well, I think out of everyone, I said the most when this ends, it's all going to tie together and blah, blah, blah. And I believed you. To, I did too. And to me, they didn't, I don't think they completely like fell, but I don't think they, it was a really shaky, shaky landing. It wasn't Bucky falling out of the airplane, but it wasn't his superhero landing in this episode either. It was somewhere right. in between that. Yeah. It was something that just isn't, that just wasn't graceful, you know? Um, so it makes it, it's really hard because it ma- there's a lot of really good stuff in this episode, but there's also a lot of stuff that I really didn't like. So it really kind of tugs me in a different direction. You know what I mean? Like it just, I, I want to really, really like this episode and I think I give it a favorable score, but there's still a lot of stuff that I need to, now that we're finally done, complain about because I gave them the benefit of the doubt for five episodes and not the sixth episode, you know. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me five times, <laughs> shame on me even more. Uh, you can't get fooled again. Um, <laughs> as they talk, Batrock arrives and demands extra pay from Sharon in exchange for not killing Morgenthau. Sharon refuses to negotiate and fatally shoots Batrock while she herself is non-fatally shot by Morgenthau. Sam arrives in time to see Sharon on the ground and confronts Morgenthau. She attacks him, but he refuses to fight back. Eventually, Morgenthau has Wilson at gunpoint, but before she can pull the trigger, is shot in the back by Sharon. As she dies, she tells Sam, I'm sorry. For what? We don't know, but she says it. Um, Outside, Bucky and John lure out the remaining Flag Smashers uh, using their app. (laughs) Which is fun. I actually really liked that. I just wanted to know why it didn't happen sooner. They are arrested, and Carly and Barnes walk away together peacefully, talking about some sort of Lincoln joke, even not, though... Not Carly. Carly's dead. Excuse me, Walker and Barnes. <laughs> yeah. And Sam carries Carly's body to the police scene and is thanked by the head of the GRC for saving their lives and stopping the Flag Smashers. Wendy indicates the GRC plans to go ahead with the vote for, to forcibly relocate people who changed homes during the blip. Sam gives an impassioned speech on behalf of the Flag Smashers' cause. This is one of the good parts of the episode. I've said this yeah. one yes. time, and I will say it a hundred times. If you're going to make a show called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the best parts need to be the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And if you just focus on those two characters, this would have been a way better show. But you didn't. You tried to put way more than you needed to in here. And if you would have just given me a show about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I would have been head over heels. Yeah. I I, I know it's a bit of a cliche, the Pieta shot. But still, Captain America descending from heaven like an angel, carrying Carly's body... That that shot really worked for mm-hmm. me. I know it's a cliche, but it was it was well deployed. Cliches are cliches because they work. So yeah. told he just doesn't understand the difficult decision the GRC has to make, Sam responds, I'm a black man carrying the stars and stripes. Every time I pick this thing up, I know there are millions of people out there who are gonna hate me for it. There's nothing I can do to change it, yet I'm still here. No super serum, no blonde hair or blue eyes. The only power I have is that I believe we can do better. And I think that's just like, this is what the show needs to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is what the show absolutely, like, it has to be like that. 
Yeah, I, I, I like that the thing that cements him as Captain America is he gives a damn good speech. Yeah. Like, speech speeching is one of... Speeching, my God. Giving a good speech is a Captain speeching America is, power. Speeching is not your power. That's why I'm not <laughs> Captain America. I liked it a lot, too. It's um, it, it got me very close to crying. There were three moments in this show that got me close to or pushed me over the edge of crying. Yeah. One of them worked extremely well. Two of them, it was like right on. They, the tears were hanging out at the gates. They're like, just open. Just open the floodgates. I, I also had three moments. <laughs> I was more so just finding myself saying like, hell yeah, when Sam was talking. Like everything he said, I was like, yeah, fucking tell him. Like, keep going. So I was more pumped up than like emotional. Yeah, the speech is great. I feel bad because I feel like we've talked about a lot about the things that we don't like. And then we're like, yeah, the speech is good. Well, <laughs> speech so, is so good. And so I, that's why I said at the start of this episode when you were kind of given the, the um, disclaimer, the things that are good in this episode, there's not much you can say about them. Like it's not, it's quick hits that are, you know, they're quick, but they add a lot of value. Whereas this pervasive bad set of villain plot lines that has gone from episode to episode it's lasted the whole season and there's a lot you can break it down with i don't think you're wrong the speech is caught on television and seen across the country including by isaiah bradley at home that's the part that got me near tears yep sam ends his speech acknowledging the grc's job isn't easy but telling them they have to do better or they'll force carly 2.0 to rise up in response as he leaves, Sam promises to Sharon to keep his promise for fighting for a pardon and flies off to rescue the flag smasher he dropped in the river. Now, Peach, uh, you would describe this show as rushed, and I don't think you would get an argument from any of us. <laughs> this is not where I expected this, but that's okay because I'm ready to jump on this soapbox too. Mm-hmm. So I I can't think of, because I, I don't really read about or you know keep a memory bank of other mcu related works and what their production schedule is like and that sort of thing so i don't know if this is the first mcu major production that that had this amount of what i conceive as rushing um but what i do feel like is if this hasn't happened yet that this could be the cinema version of why Putting pressure, unnecessary pressure on content creators to release things that aren't ready early is bad. It is always, always, always bad. And I'm going to bring this over to video games. I know we talked about video games already with Mortal Mm -hmm. Kombat, but when I'm thinking about how to compare this, the most recent thing that comes to mind for me is uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which was CD Projekt Red, the same people that did Witcher. And the internet just came out in hate mobs so often for CD Projekt Red because they wanted their Cyberpunk 2077. They wanted it now. They've been waiting for this game for so long. And CD Projekt Red put a lot of pressure on their employees to work faster, work harder, whatever. And what we ended up getting was, and you can argue about whether it was the downfall, I'm doing air quotes, of the game or not because the game still made a shitload of money. But when the game came out... It was just full of bugs. All it was was bugs. It was just, I mean, you could watch video after video on YouTube of all the things that didn't work correctly in that game because it was rushed. And so I think that it's always important as a content creator of any kind, cinema, 
games, you know, projects at work for your job, like companies mm -hmm. take note of this. If something needs to have that extra time, you need to make that extra time for it. And the reason that I even bring this up is because two reasons, A, it's true, but B, because I have seen way more than my fair share on social media of people respond, like talking about how this series felt the way we're talking about. And the response to that being like, bro, you can't hate on this series, bro. They worked with what they had to, bro, COVID, bro, COVID this, COVID that. Listen, man, it like, who cares? Like Robbie said earlier, what yeah. about COVID makes writing any different? Like, mm -hmm. take the time, push the product back. Don't let this affect the quality of the product because there's no reason other than maybe some producers with money saying you have to have it out by this time that they couldn't take the time modify the story or keep the story in whatever its original form might be to tell the story they wanted to tell. We just had nine weeks of WandaVision with a one week break in between that. Now I know we went a long time because of COVID not having Marvel content, but did we need a one week break in between these two shows? Would we have been okay if it went on a little longer? I think we would have. I think we would have been just fine because what they gave us is this product that we're all very confused about. And I, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if the studio is what they're considering this show to be. I don't know if they're considering it to be a success or a failure or something in between. I don't know. I personally hope they're seeing these criticisms of what happened to all this writing and they're learning from it because I don't personally if this is how they're going to pump out a product, while, like we've said, there's a lot of likable things in this show and a lot of powerful moments in this show, but if this is how they're going to go forward with things that, you know, things that happen in the world that delay production or whatever, I don't, I'm not going to be excited for those things. And in addition to, bro, they worked with what they had, bro, this was almost six hours of content. There have been more character... Like, there have been movies that are an hour and a half that are one-fourth of the time that develop their characters and plots and have the same amount of character and plot that mm -hmm. this show had. So you can't use that as an excuse. You just can't. Anyway, I'm off the soapbox. WandaVision got shut down for COVID, too, and it didn't seem to yeah. dip their quality at all. Right. Like, so. there were some things that we maybe noticed about WandaVision that... Oh, COVID probably affected this, but they were very few and far between. Uh -huh. Whereas this one, it felt really obvious and people are defending it in droves with that argument. So I just make it more fun to watch. <laughs> no, take your time, make it a good product. We'll wait for your good product. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm glad you brought up video games, but you also brought up the, the fan reaction. And I think we as fans, not we four as fans, but I think the larger fan group is partly to blame for exactly what you're talking about. So you went to video games. I, I'm sure the three of you know this. I definitely know that Sound Lord's aware of this. Nintendo is constantly famous for delaying their products. And they get dragged for it. Dragged for it. And then they release a game. And, you know, we don't always like every single creative decision that Nintendo makes. But I don't think anyone ever criticizes Nintendo's polish. They absolutely get praised for delivering finished products that have, you know, care and devotion and an attention to detail that everything is taken care of before it's released. 
And they also get praised for that. But I never see people, I never see people saying, oh yeah, so it's good that they delayed this. And it's because I think we just need to react. And then when something like you're just saying, like like Cyberpunk 2077 is released, you'll get a whole bunch of people saying, yeah, but they had to release it quickly. No, they didn't have to. Mm -hmm. No one said they had to. The very first video game I was ever part of the hype cycle for was Ocarina of Time, which got delayed multiple times over the span of three years. Something and like for that, me, yeah. for me as a child, that was horrible. It was buying another Nintendo Power, seeing more pictures of, of Ocarina of Time, and then it's been delayed another three months. And just, but then, then when I finally got the game that had, I'd been killing me waiting to play it, I played the greatest video game ever made. So it was like, oh, okay. Guess this is worth it. So I learned that lesson early. Same thing happened with Twilight Princess. Um, same thing happened with Breath of the Wild. And all three times, they were dragged for not having the product ready for market. And yet, well, and Twilight Princess and Breath of the Wild was also to get it on a different console. But mm -hmm. dragged for not getting it to market, but releasing an incredible um, production. And Sound Lord, I am not going to drag it, but Wind Waker is the rare opposite. Uh, Wind Waker is a fantastic game, but it was rushed because they needed to get something on GameCube. And when you play that game, you can tell that stuff is missing. Like, there's whole dungeons that are clearly not in the game because they couldn't get it done in time. I love Wind Waker, but I was going to bring it up if yeah. you didn't. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's yeah. whole dungeons missing from that game. And and it's not just like you find out later that someone says, yeah, this dungeon. There's clearly a point that it's like, yeah, you're going to the water dungeon. Oh, they just give you the peaches. It would be like if you're going to, to one of the dungeons and in, in, uh, you're going to the, the Swamp Palace. And when I know exactly what you're talking about yeah. because I remember in the very brief moment, I never finished it, but in the mm -hmm. very brief period of my life where I was playing Wind Waker, I remember one of you, it was probably you, Robbie, mm -hmm. that I texted about some island that I found. Mm -hmm. And you were like, yeah, that was supposed to have a dungeon in it, but they yeah. didn't have time. You go there and it well, and it's even worse than that. You're going for one of the rewards, one of the, you know, the 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 legendary Zelda MacGuffins that you need to get to fight Ganon. It's it's that thing. Like getting the pendant or getting the getting a medallion, getting a crystal. Um, you go to the island and you're braced for all right, dungeon time, and then an NPC just gives you the reward. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so hey, obvious. And it's so obvious yeah. that it's okay. That's I already did done. this for you. Um, another mm. one is Knights of the Old Republic 2 is one of the most infuriating ones to me because it's just, they released that game in a year because they felt pressure to release the game. And there is yes. so much cut content from that game. And it is obvious. And it's just, they have so many great ideas in that game that would have improved it from the first one. It, except that, there's just so much missing content and so many bugs and so many ideas that, that trail off to nowhere. That pressure that we're talking about, just, it literally does not, it doesn't end up being fair to anyone. It right. makes the people producing it stressed, feel rushed. It, it gives us a product that we probably won't like as much. Like, nobody benefits from that, really. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, I don't know if you guys want to join me in fighting people on the internet, but I, I this is also a PSA from Peaches, to just maybe reflect on this and stop being if you're one of those internet mob bullies that bullies people into releasing their shit faster maybe you should cut it out maybe you should find a second hobby because mm -hmm. that's not cool for anybody it's not cool so fight me i don't yeah. care meet me you want to have a josh 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 fight i'll fight every peach that disagrees with me in a field somewhere with noodles all right Robbie, were you going to bring up the famous Miyamoto quote, or shall I? No, I wasn't. 
Yeah, uh, well, Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Legend of Zelda, once said, A delayed game is eventually good, but a rushed game is forever bad. And I know a bunch of video game developers said bet and started saying, well, we'll release the game and uh, <laughs> just patch it later. <laughs> but but it's true. You take the time you need huh? to put out a product that you're proud of, whether it's a story or... Hell, a dinner. You know, take the time. Don't right. don't rush things. Don't cut corners. You want to instill long term faith in what you produce. Yeah, and you know what the difference too is? It's even worse for film because mm-hmm. if you rush a video game and you take that, if you use that tactic of we'll just patch it later, uh-huh. you can eventually have a playable fixed game. Yeah. If you put a movie out there, you can you can have your Zack Snyder's, but how many people have done that? Uh-huh. And yeah, you don't always get the opportunity to put out your version that you wanted to put out as a director's right. cut or whatever it might be. And and that's still always going to that. Uh, we can debate whether or not Justice the Snyder Cut is a good movie, but let's say that the Snyder Cut is a perfect superhero movie. You still that movie that was hyped and in theaters and represented your brand was the bad one. You're not getting mm-hmm. that back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel better now. Thanks. I think it's a bad argument to say, oh, well, think about all the COVID and things that they had to deal with. Because, like, think about us. Like, we are in the zeitgeist, right? Like, we intentionally, because we do the show, because I think it's just the kind of people that we are, are interested in release cycles and what the production is like and when the things are coming out and things like that. Most people are just like, oh, look, a show on Disney Plus about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Let me turn this on and Mm -hmm. watching it. And for them, it's either good or bad. They don't care about COVID delays and Mm -hmm. like all this other crap that they're not interested in that. They care about simply, was this a good show or was it not a good show? That's it. It's that simple. When someone discovers this show five years from now and watches it for the first time, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, that happened in 2020. Uh, yeah, guys, we got to back up and take into account their production cycle because, yeah. no, they're going to judge it for what it is, you know? And that's that's re- that's reality. Yeah. yeah, it's a weird argument. It's, <laughs> it's nonsensical is what it is. Right. In the aftermath, the remaining Flag Smashers are placed in a police van to be transported to the raft, but are greeted by their escorting officer with one world, one people. However, as they drive off, their van explodes along with this entire subplot, while Baron Zemo's butler watches from his car holding a detonator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, from his cell on the raft, Zemo listens to news of the death of the Flag Smashers and smiles. I would have loved to see them pan around the raft and see who else is in there. Like that's something that I really mm-hmm. wanted them to do, and they just didn't. And it would have been cool, I think. Mm-hmm. In the same room where he received his discharge from service, John Walker shows off his new, also comics accurate costume to Valentina De Fontaine, which is exactly the same costume, but it's now black. Uh, De Fontaine loves it, saying there are things things are about to get weird, and the world won't need a Captain America, but it will need more of a U.S. agent, which. Let me know what, what the distinction is because I don't know what that means. It means they really wanted to say U.S. agent. Right, right. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's a microcosm of the whole show. We need to say U.S. agent. It doesn't really matter how we set it up. We just need to say it. Yeah. Suddenly we were watching Mortal Kombat again. <laughs> Fatality. Flawless she leaves telling him to continue taking her phone calls while Walker celebrates being back with his wife. Now, Chris, this 
seemed like a better use of a post credit scene than the post credit scene that we got, correct? Yeah, or or in addition to, I mean, we got two in WandaVision, so, you know, it, for me, okay, I, I loved Julia Louis-Dreyfus in this. I think, she, like, the, the screen lit up whenever she was there. Uh, she looked like she was having fun with this character. She looks like she knows more about this character than we know. Uh, like, her little back and forth about, I don't know. Well, I couldn't have planned it better myself. Or did I? No, I didn't. Did I? <laughs> like, that was amusing. Uh, I enjoyed that. But her stuff, it should have been a post credit scene. Uh, I talked about this, I think, a little bit last week. But I get annoyed when, when a scene or a line or something is dropped into a movie or a show specifically to set up something else that's going to be dealt with in some other movie or show down the line. I'm not talking about things that happen in a given story that open up possibilities for future stories, but the stuff that feels like it's completely separate. It can be done well, uh, but when it's a scene that feels like it exists outside of the story being told, it, that's what teasers are for. I am, I'm going to make the illegal forbidden comparison yet again, but in WandaVision, some things happen in that show that have great potential for things down the road. Look at like Monica getting superpowers. That's clearly going to pay off in Captain Marvel and maybe Secret Evasion or wherever else we might get Monica Rambo in the future. Uh, Wanda becoming Scarlet Witch. That's another thing. But that stuff was part of the story of WandaVision. The here are some breadcrumbs for the future stuff that didn't have to do with the main story. Skrull's recruiting Monica for Nick Fury's secret thing, whatever that might be. Wanda studying the evil spell book. That was left for the post-credits. That wasn't part of the WandaVision story, but that was stuff that spun out of the WandaVision story for the future. Having Val show up, uh, or the, the Contessa, excuse me, show up and recruit John for whatever she's recruiting John for, because we still don't really know what that is. I don't know if it's the Thunderbolts or West Coast Avengers or whatever the hell it could be. Uh, that feels like a tease for something in the future is going to happen. Uh, well, and not only that, but it complicates what we're supposed to think about John in the moment. Because we got the weird recruiting last week that we were initially suspicious of. Then we get his quote-unquote redemption thing in this story, in this episode. And then we go back to him getting the U.S. agent suit and name. Maybe maybe we would feel differently about this if Black Widow had come out first. And assuming that that Val is in that movie. But well, who, we don't know. Who's to say? It has to stand on its own as well. Even though it's all connected, it's got to stand on its own. I think that you combine the two scenes with her into one scene, put them at the end of the credits of this episode, have her recruit him. Most of the dialogue from that first one, have her unzip the suit to show the black suit underneath and say, we're going to need a U.S. agent. Great post-credit scene right there. Doesn't make this show confusing. Makes you go, ooh, who's she? What's happening next? What is the U.S. agent going to be like? Is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? That's to, That's what's supposed to leave you with questions. Put it in the text of the main show, and it complicates it in a, in a weird way. What do y'all think? You're like you're wondering no, when it's going to show up in the show because uh -huh. it's part of the show. Yes, exactly. It's, yeah. it's like like the example I gave last week about Thrawn getting name dropped in Mandalorian, and then he never shows up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think they saw it as a necessary part of their see. He's redeemed because we said so arc, and whatever. But we don't even know because we got bad guy vibes from her. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? My or, prediction. Or... Bad guy number five. Yeah. My prediction is either they're ignoring her recent history and she's a good guy. Or um, that's prediction B. Prediction A 
is she's a bad guy, but U.S. agent will sniff it out after being used and help save the day. Hmm. I, I agree with what you said. And instead they yeah. gave us something we don't care about. <laughs> Correct. So, yeah. Which right. I think could, if, if the rest of the power broker stuff had actually been done well, like we talked about earlier, that, that post credit scene might have actually worked. Yeah. But, yeah. In New York, Bucky goes to the apartment of Yori Nakajima and emotionally confesses to killing his son. Later, he walks by their sushi place and sees Yori happily talking to the owner who he had a failed date with. Bucky smiles seeing them, then walks away. His therapist, Christina Rayner, walks into her office to find a thank you note from Barnes, as well as a completely crossed out list of names he needed to make amends to. Sam travels back to Baltimore and the home of Isaiah Bradley. Isaiah acknowledges the good Sam has done, and Sam asserts he won't stop fighting for the country, even after the mistakes it's made. This is the part that got me. Sam takes Isaiah to the Captain America Smithsonian exhibit, where he shows Isaiah the newly installed display on his life and legacy. He tells an emotional Isaiah, now they'll never forget what you did for this country. And at that point, I looked over at Bailey, and we were both crying. (laughs) I started crying the second they walked into the museum. I was like... No, mm-hmm. oh, this is gonna be too good. And it was like it was ugly cry, you guys. It was like like tears everywhere. So not that I doubted you too much, but Mea culpa, I talked about feeling like they didn't really do enough to justify Sam being Captain America despite the things Isaiah said, you know, no self-respecting black man would want to be Captain America. Uh, and you had said, well, let's see what happens in the next episode. I will say, I do think they did a good job of winning me over that Isaiah was won over. Mm, uh, sure. The, all the things we complained about with this episode, well, and really not this episode, I think we're complaining about the series through this episode. I like this yes. episode. All I like the this things, episode a lot, actually. All the things we've this complained about. This is actually a decent episode, yeah. Right, all the things they've complained about, they rack up the development and the arcs of the two characters extremely well, I felt. Calling Isaiah as part of Sam's arc, I think is fair. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because he was a necessary component yes. to yes. Sam accepting that, yeah, you know, I should be Captain America. Mm-hmm. Bucky and Sam return to Sarah's boat in Louisiana and celebrate at a local party, which fades to the title card, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And now we finally get school. to know so who would win We would who would who win in a fight between Captain America and Ant-Man, and the answer is Ant-Man. Uh, (laughs) i don't know if sam had the shield then i don't know why that would have changed things but give him a rematch yeah the post-credit scene sharon carter is given her pardon by the u.s senate as well as a job in her old department as she leaves to applause she calls an associate and tells them to start contacting buyers now that she now has access to government secrets and weapon prototypes who cares? Okay. Not me. <laughs> Who cares? I, I just don't understand what she's being set up for here. Yeah. I don't know. It, this, this. If they revisit this plot line down the line, maybe they will make it work. But they sure didn't make it work in this show. All right, episode ratings. Peach, we're going to start with you. Where are you going to rate the finale of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? As much complaining as as I did, uh, I did too. Really enjoyed this episode on its own. So I gave uh, episode six eight baguettes and a couple of French fries out of ten. Chris, I gave it eight Captain America speeches out of ten. I also 
enjoyed this episode on its own, definitely. Uh, episode was good. Action was good. Wrap-up was good. There were flaws with the series that we talked about on this episode of the podcast, but I enjoyed the finale of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so I gave it eight Falcon punches delivered to helicopters out of ten. And I will be the negative Nancy and give it seven and a half wasted <gasps> character arcs out of ten. Like I said, I did like the episode, but there was a lot of stuff that just like I think I didn't do this for this one, and it's something that I usually do. I just haven't had time because I've been in a, I've been moving. Um, mm-hmm. But if I had gone back and watched all the episodes after having the knowledge of the finale, I think I would have been less favorable to a lot of the episodes because a lot of the episodes I was like, let me give the show writers the benefit of the doubt. I think they're going to tie this all, all at the end, and then when they didn't, I think that would lower a lot of my scores uh, for some of the other episodes. Now, how did the series stand up as a whole? I think we've already kind of touched on this as we talked about this whole episode, but there were definitely some character arcs that were better than others. I will say something that maybe hasn't been echoed here, and I know we all like the arc of Bucky and what Bucky went through. I think they could have done maybe a little more with Bucky. Yes. The show is called Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it's really Falcon and his sidekick, the Winter Soldier. And mm-hmm. not only in terms of that, him being like his sidekick essentially, but also in terms of his story kind of taking a definitely a lower place compared to Sam's story, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because Sam's story is so interesting, but it's definitely not like an equal footing. There's definitely, they could have, to me, cut out a lot of the 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 junk in the show, put in a little bit of more Bucky side story, fix uh, yeah. when, um, John Walker's arc, and you have an amazing show, right? And so it's... Uh... I agree. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen more. I, I did like what we got, and I like that Bucky has been left in a place going forward where he has the most personality he's had since the first Captain America movie. He's finally gotten to move past, and he is the closure now uh, of, you know, having learned to live with the things he did as the Winter Soldier. Uh, I remember last week I had predicted that they would change the name at the end to Captain America and the White Wolf, and I guess he's sticking with the name Winter Soldier. I guess he's trying to own that. I don't know. Uh, I would have thought that he would have tried to move past that name as well, but maybe he's just trying to redefine it. Uh Um, But... It has me very excited to see more of Bucky Barnes in the future. Uh, However, they decide to use him, whether they use him in Captain America movies, whether they put him in his own movie, maybe have him team up with Florence Pugh. (laughs) You know, she ends up being like the new Black Widow. I I don't know what it could be. I'm just, you know, excited to see just like just like with Sam. I'm excited to see where, where it goes from here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't spend enough time. I think saying my feelings on the season as a whole. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so where do we think this fits in the MCU? I think it's, we've already talked about their rumors. Captain America four is coming out. They're definitely trying to push the MCU in a new direction. I think they are taking a much more, um, fragmented approach. Now. I think the last MCU thing had a big, long story that was sort of building at the beginning. We're not there yet. We are now at the beginning again. We're reintroducing characters. We're doing new backstories. We are starting from ground zero. So I don't think we're going to get a through line for a little while. I think it did an absolutely fantastic job of setting up Sam Wilson as the new leader of the Avengers, I'm assuming is what his role is going to be. And I will buy completely into that. I think it did a really good job of kind of scrubbing Bucky clean so that he can just be a superhero now, um, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And it, it really did tie up some loose ends. Like, not that I cared, not that it was important, but whatever. Batroc the Leaper's gone now. Uh, we don't need to worry about his whereabouts. Wow. So, the thing Robbie's been waiting for with bated breath since Falcon and the movie. I can't wait till they kill Batroc the Leaper. That yeah. guy's got to go. He was shot in a New York, <laughs> unceremoniously shot in a New York basement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it really did kind of set up where some of the forces of evil are going to come from. You know, I guess Sharon is one of them. Uh, we set up U.S. agent, so we have U.S. agent now, I guess. And I think we've, we're also kind of seeing that a lot of the struggle in the future MCU is going to be, how do we recover from the blip? And that, that's fine. I, I don't think this episode did a great job of exploring that idea, but at the very least, it reinforced that as an idea. Um, so... It's really weird. As many bad things as I'm going to say about the show, I think it actually did a really good job of setting up the MCU going forward. I'm going to say right now that my answer today is different than it would have been if this show had come out first, Mm. before WandaVision, as it was originally planned to. Aside from a couple things like Power Broker and US Agent, what was the status quo as far as we knew at the end of Endgame? It was... Steve Rogers has picked Sam Wilson to be the new Captain America and gave him the shield. It was Bucky has become a good guy, uh, like for real, and has helped save the universe. It was Baron Zemo is in jail. At the end of this series, Sam Wilson has decided to become Captain America and is using the shield. Bucky is a good guy uh, and has helped out the Avengers. Baron Zemo is in jail. It felt like we got the story of how this happened, but... If the next movie is Captain America 4 with Sam Wilson as Captain America, that's exactly what we expected after we saw Endgame. That being said, knowing how much WandaVision actually shook up the status quo by creating Wanda as the Scarlet Witch and creating a new version of the Vision who was out there in the universe somewhere and her children who are out there in the universe somewhere and introducing Agatha Harkness and all these things. And Wanda has done something that has really you know, scarred some New Jerseyans. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, I now feel confident in saying, yeah, these Disney plus shows will be consequential, but if this was the first one we saw, I'd be like, eh, they're hedging their bets a little bit, but no, I, I do feel confident now, especially knowing that these same writers are going to be taking up the Captain America, uh, movie, uh, going forward. It's like, okay, yeah, th- this show is going to have an impact going forward. And, and of course with us agents and all that as well it it does feel like yeah this is going to have some weight going forward and even the flag smashers could be like hydra where they're not really gone because they're all these people who download the app who are still all for it i guess Mm -hmm. uh you know i mean she did say her cause was too strong and was going to live on after them so yeah yeah so the flag smashers i think that they might course correct and decide you know people didn't really do the flag smashers so let's not but yeah it, it it Def, I think that it does set up some things going forward, and and knowing how reluctantly seeing his journey of accepting Captain America, and I and I hope we haven't seen the last of Isaiah Bradley either, and of course we have the potential for Joaquin Torres as Falcon, Isaiah's grandson as Patriot. All these things have now been introduced that could pay off down the line too. So so I do think that this is more than just a stopgap, and and will actually have some. Uh, some import going down the line. Also, I think it is interesting that Marvel stumbled into a metaphor for 2020 
in 2019 mm-hmm. when they when they decided to have there be a five year gap uh, and not undoing that. The blip is going forward absolutely going to be a metaphor for the lost year that we had because of COVID. And I listening to Sam's speech at the end, I'm wondering how much of that was written or rewritten after the pandemic happened, because there are certainly some parallels being drawn there. Uh, but if it wasn't rewritten because of COVID, then it was awfully prescient. Uh-huh. And I just wonder how long it is until, you know, somewhere down the line, are people going to start calling 2020 the blip? <laughs> you know, because it kind of feels that way. Peaches. I don't really have anything to add. I mean, you guys you guys covered it. Um, the only thing that I thought of has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Classic me. How does it fit into the Mortal Kombat universe? <laughs> the MKU. Everyone now has New York Mafia accents. Hey. <laughs> MVPs. I'm going to spoil it because we all have the same MVP, so I'd rather it just be a discussion that we all talk about it. But whoever wants to start, our MVP for, I guess, the show for Falcon and the Winter Soldier is Captain America himself, Sam Wilson. Falcon, Uh, punch! I I think he was the most developed character out of there. I think he was the most interesting character. I think he had the most interesting arc. I think any time you had... Falcon and the Winter Soldier on screen together. It was great. I think Sam Wilson really is the sort of heart of the show. And without him, the show literally does not work. So, mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah, not much else to say about that. But he uh, he showed that he does he should be Captain America, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I I really like that you brought up multiple times now the uh the the fact that his counselor background comes out. And I think they did a good job of that. I can absolutely see this as this is the leader of the Avengers. And also just the combination of Captain America moves and Falcon moves is just pretty excited. That's um, great. But he was, he was not only a great character, he was great in action scenes, great character. This is, I think this is probably the easiest MVP I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is very easy. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really in many other choices. I mean, the only other choice would have been Bucky, I think. And... With the show being so much more about Sam and him getting all the really meaty emotional scenes, uh, almost all of them, I would say. I mean, Bucky got the stuff with Mister Nakajima, which was which was good, but um, but I mean, the the soul of this show is Sam Wilson's journey to becoming Captain America. Plus one. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required and MCU Retrospective. Series. Uh, yeah, we gotta give our. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Series ratings. <laughs> I thought I I saw the ratings and I thought we'd already done there. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. Series ratings. What are you gonna rate Falcon and the Winter Soldier as a whole? As a whole, I'm gonna give it 7.5 superhero therapy sessions out of 10. And in my heart, in my brain, it's really more of a seven that gets half a point added on because the Isaiah Bradley stuff was so good and the stuff that worked, Sam and Bucky, was so good. That that bumps it up an extra half point for me. <laughs> if that hadn't been executed so well, probably would have been about a seven for me. I completely agree. The Isaiah stuff in particular, but some of the good action sequences and the good buddy stuff between Sam and Bucky absolutely bumps it up. I'd say even maybe even two points. Um, so oh, for boy. that reason, I gave it as high as 5.5 Misty Murder Minds out of 10. Robbie Ooh, the hater. Damn, Robbie. Robbie the hater. <laughs> Robbie's over here like, I like this episode, but 
5.5. I liked I it, but it was terrible. <laughs> I graded on a curve and gave it I, I a just 50%. I didn't think the series as a whole came together very well. It's just mildly redeemed by some really good stuff. Uh, what about you, Peach? I'm going to make the... Um, I am also going to make the forbidden comparison here because I can't help it. Here's... here's. Do you guys ever watch the Olympics? Y'all Olympics yeah. watchers? Yeah. I, I am immediately thinking of both of these shows as like um, gymnastics routines, okay? Um, WandaVision was a gymnastics routine that was almost executed perfectly and then didn't stick the landing as well as it could have but still stuck the landing. This show had a routine that was super rocky throughout, but the end started to get a little better. So it looked like the routine at the end was better than it was throughout. For that reason, (laughs) I'm giving this seven disappointing character arcs out of 10. I think people look at the end of something a lot and that's their recency bias, right? Like they look at the Mm -hmm. end of something and they go, this is good because I remember the last part of it. That's what I'm remembering most is the finale. A lot of people thought that the finale of WandaVision didn't stick. A lot of people will look at this finale and go, that episode on its own was better than most of the other episodes of the show. So I'm going to think the show is overall good. But that's what I'm. Th- that's why I had this analogy is, hmm. no, like parts of the show were pretty bad, but they got better as the show got to its conclusion. So that's that's where I'm sitting with this. And that's why I'm allowing myself even though it's illegal to compare it to WandaVision. <laughs> Eduardo? Uh, I'm going to give Falcon and the Winter Soldier 7.5. Didn't wrap up like I said it would out of 10. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I think I enjoyed it as a whole just because I'm just a Marvel shill and anything Marvel pulls out, I'm most likely going to enjoy. <laughs> that being said, I think it could have been a lot better. But now I think that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required at MCU Retrospective. Want to tell us your thoughts? Send us an email over at assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. If you want to uh, follow us on Twitter, we are at assemblycast. You can follow us all individually, GatorSax2010 for Chris, D underscore Peaches for Peaches, PhilKid3 for Robbie, and ABC Eduardo1 for myself. Huge thanks to our Avengers-level patrons, Brian, Captain America, the first Avenger, as well as Riley. Um, And for anybody that wants to uh, follow our journey some more, you can follow us over at patreon.com slash assembly required and join us. We are going to be doing a community event in about two weeks. We are going to be starting the, um, we're going to be releasing the spider cut next week. So there's a lot of lot, a lot of stuff kind of coming down the pipeline. So the best way to get in contact with us, like Peach said, is to follow us over on Patreon, Uh, throw a couple bucks our way. Uh, We would really, really appreciate it. But that's going to do it for all of us, for myself, for Peaches, for Robbie, for Chris. We love you 3,000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Bye. Bye.
Captain Falcon. Ready? Show your moves! 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 Show your mo